Good morning. Uh, we're going to read today from Luke chapter 13. It can be found um, in the Church Bibles on page 738. We're going to start at chapter 10 and read through to the end of the chapter. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stool and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, Are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, I'm getting sorted. I have to say, it is really cool to be back. Um, I didn't know really what to expect, and it's just really great um, to see the faces and have all the memories come back of all those years together. And uh, 
I'm really looking forward to opening up God's Word with you. And it's still great that we had this connection and that we still are passionate about the North, the Northeast, and reaching uh, more and more of the people in this area. And it's a joy to be able to have fixed together at the moment. And it was great having so many youth. There was nearly 30-odd at our house last week. Uh, and so it's good to have those uh, connections as well. Let me pray, and then, uh, and then um, we'll get into this passage. I need to pray because I'm very surprised. I, I was very happy coming and then kind of walked through the doors and got really nervous. I don't know why. You're all friends, but anyway, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, your word is spectacular because you reveal yourself to us. And not only that, you reveal how desperate you are to have a relationship with us through your Son. Today, by your Spirit, give each of us clarity into how we have that relationship and how we continue in it. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever lined up to get into something you desperately didn't want to miss out on? Yes or no? Have you done that? What was it? What did you line up for, Rosie? Richard Dean Anderson, that's MacGyver, old school. Yeah, excellent. We line up for things, right? Has anyone else done it? I've got my brother to do it quite a few times to two grand finals and to lots of other things as well to get there because you don't want to miss out on things. These days, you don't so much line up, but just continually click refresh, refresh, refresh it on the Ticket Tech website and get really frustrated when it doesn't happen. If I could line up to watch the US Golf Masters, I would line up for a week. If I had to sell one of my... Ch- no, I won't go that far, but I would desperately love to go, but it's impossible. You have to s- s- spend thousands and then it's still impossible because we don't want to miss out. There are moments in history when people don't want to miss out on all sorts of things. Now, uh, Jen convinced me to watch The Crown on Netflix, the story of Queen Elizabeth's beginnings... I don't know, has anyone else seen it? Yeah, I, I, I don't usually go into those things, but she convinced me because Matt Smith was Prince Philip and he was the doctor in Doctor Who, and so I thought, all right, I'll watch it. And I really liked it. It was really good. But I remember watching it thinking, everyone was so desperate to see the inauguration, to see this big moment in England's history where the Queen is being throned. It was a big moment that you can't miss out on. And, and people will say where they were how close they got. Today's passage, Jesus makes missing out on the most crucial, important, the purpose of your life, the whole thing, he makes missing out on that avoidable. And he does it by explaining to us clearly what's required. If you recall, if you've been in Luke, or if you, if you haven't and you need to be brought up, brought up to speed, in Luke's Gospel, as he's um, establishing God's kingdom, as Jesus comes on and establishes God's kingdom, what actually happens is you get to chapter 9, and Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. And that point on, Jesus is specifically, purposely heading to the cross. That's what the, the story, the narrative of Luke is driving us towards. At every moment we have in the back of our mind, Jesus is purposely going to his death. That's what he's doing. And throughout this section, there's little moments of reminders which kind of break up the section to help us see that. And in the passage we had read for us today, um, after that 
dealing with the ridiculousness that they have with the Sabbath and, and healing the crippled woman and that great uh, passage on the mustard seed, we see in verse 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. As he goes on to speak, don't forget where he's heading. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's heading purposely to his death. So as we consider this passage, really the subject of today's, of, of today's uh, passage is the question that's asked. The question that's asked and kind of how Jesus responds to it, because it's kind of an intriguing question, and is it really the ultimate question you should ask? Look at verse 23. In verse 23, the question is, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He is asked. Someone's asked him, is it going to be few? Is it going to be many? Who's getting in? How's this happening? Why is that question being asked? Well, that's, that's a question in itself, trying to figure that out. And you see that more and more throughout uh, the coming chapters. But it's an important question. Who? What's or few? It's the key subject. And it's fantastically relevant to today's world because the idea of getting into heaven to being saved, well, if there is a heaven, we kind of think, Everybody, without exception, broadly speaking, will be there. It's a very common kind of Western view. That's kind of where often the world's at. If there is a heaven, if you're good or you do your best or however you're going to frame it, in the end, we'll probably all be there mostly. Maybe not the super bad. And Jesus is taking on this view He's being very countercultural. He's being groundbreaking. He is being avant garde, as uh, your sermon series is titled. So let's have a look at this passage. And I thought, um, if you remember uh, my in- intensive outlines um, when I was back at TNE, there's another one of them there for you um, a blank sheet. Um, there's really three main points I want to bring home for you. And then with those three points, we'll, we'll wrap it up with, with the final reflections. There is a door that is narrow. There is a door that is narrow. There is a decision that could not be more important. And there is a destiny that is eternal. So let's have a look at this. See, Jesus makes it very clear. We did it with the kids to kind of kick us off and to help them see it. That the door is narrow, which is very countercultural. It's really the kind of content of the whole passage for us as Jesus answers the question and shapes it in this direction. Have a look at verse 24 and consider it. Consider it wherever you're at with God. If you're someone who is someone who loves and follows Jesus or someone who's trying to wrestle with it, figure it out or you're kind of quite cynical to it, consider what Jesus is saying. Actually, he's pretty intense. Let's not shy away from it. Verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. Jesus is contradicting the understanding of our age that there are many doors, not one. If there is a door, it's really, really wide and, of course, 
there's no hurry. There's no urgency. There's lots of opportunities now. There's material possessions to accumulate. There's work to be done. There's pleasures to pursue. We need not focus on that now. And Jesus says, there is but one door. It's narrow and it could not be more urgent. This is not the only moment uh, that Jesus says things like this. In fact, this is what he says all the time. If this is new to you. In John's Gospel, he says things like, He's the good shepherd, he is the gate. And that famous verse in chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty narrow-minded, doesn't it? In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in chapter 7, if we flick back there, it sounds very familiar. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and may enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus wants us to understand how you get through the door. And he's being very specific. He is diametrically opposed to those who don't understand him and to our culture. Not only to our culture, I uh, uh, heard recently that there was a uh, private study done of uh, UK clergymen and 50% said that Jesus' death and resurrection is not essential for getting into a relationship with him. I have no doubt if we did a confidential survey of churches all around Adelaide from all different denominations, there would be a fair number. And we should walk into that church and you would not hear that Jesus is the only way, the narrow door. That is how much our culture has affected us. But, if we want to step back from all of what's happening around us and look at what Jesus says in the Bible and take the words of the Bible from what they say, we need to see maybe... Just maybe it's not unreasonable to think that the door should be narrow. Should we determine what God should do? Should we determine who gets in and who doesn't? Or should we let God speak for himself and for each one of us respond to him? So the beautiful picture of Jesus is not only this picture of a narrow door, it's that the offer is to many. The offer is not exclusive. The offer is to many. Later on, you'll see Jesus goes out and offers. There's this great chapter in chapter 15 where Jesus is the one pulling people to himself. He's desperate for people. And people from all around the globe. Verse 29. People will come from east and west, north and south. Australia and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. All around, way beyond the Jews, all through the Gentiles, everywhere, into the feast of the kingdom of God. It appears to be a vast number that are invited, and a vast amount of people will come, but Jesus isn't focusing on, is it a few or not? He's saying, maybe you should consider which door you go through. 
He says, maybe you need to strive to enter, make every effort to enter through the right door. It does, just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen as if you can kind of associate around the door. Has anyone read, I'm assuming people have, but has anyone read Pilgrim's Progress? Does anyone not read? If you never read and you want to read your first ever novel, that's the book. It's spectacular. Because it's a story of the Christian life by giving all these people and all these characters descriptions of what the Christian life's about. And there's these characters that go on this journey and they don't want to really go to the narrow door. They get distracted and go another way. Hypocrisy. Informalist. They take a shortcut to the celestial city and they get lost. But then there's another guy, Presumption. Does anyone know or remember what happens to Presumption? Presumption is at the door and he sleeps. He's so close. He's like right at the door and he just kind of yawns, sleeping. He doesn't go in. But he was close. But he didn't go through the door. We need to consider how, what Jesus is saying and whether this door is something we need to revisit. You see, what happens in this passage is the next thing we see is that there is a decision that could not be more important. Look at verses uh, 25 to 27 with me. And let me warn you, it's pretty intense words. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. They're knocking and pleading, they're kind of at the door and here you go, we see, away from me. And I think what we need to take away from this very clearly, what so often is rejected, even those who like the idea of God, even like the idea of Jesus. Entrance is on the basis of wholehearted acceptance of the teaching of Jesus, not on kind of a familial acquaintance with him. We ate and drank with you, you taught in our streets. But I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. We're not together. Do you notice it's said twice? I don't know you or where you come from. Now, I don't know what your work situation is like, obviously. But in lots of work situations, you have a lunchtime area where you eat. Now, the fact that you happen to work and, uh, with those people and, you, and sometimes you have to have lunch at the same time and there's one common meeting room doesn't automatically mean they become your best friends. Sometimes you just eat and drink together and sometimes the people that you eat and drink with at work are just acquaintances because sometimes they drive you crazy. You're not going to end up being friends with them. I know that from personal experience. When I was an OT and there were some doctors, sorry doctors, uh, <laughs> some doctors who just would kind of talk to me rudely all the time. 
we were acquaintances. I had to work with them. We kind of had a decent working relationship, but there was no real relationship. It's not lasting. I never saw them again when I stopped sitting in that lunchroom after I finished work. Jesus is saying, that's not good enough to kind of know about me, to know me, to kind of think I'm okay, but not to engage with what I'm talking about and what I'm saying. Remember, where's he heading? To Jerusalem, to his death. Wholehearted acceptance in his death for us, in our place, is where he's moving. See, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is wanting people to receive him. It happens over and over again. If we had time, I'd show you how that happens. Because what he's showing here is that you need to receive him, not just know of him. And as, as uh, the gospel goes on, what we're seeing is receiving him can't be kind of rooted around the cross or pushing that to the side. Because his whole journey is for that endpoint. We can't push that aside. And so there's a decision that is vital and it's tied inextricably, inextricably to Jesus and to what he's doing. And for you, wrestling with, do I want to wholeheartedly accept him? Because that's what he's saying. You eat and drink with me, whoop-de-doo. You need to receive me. So what he's saying is that there are no unbelievers, maybe casual believers, probably a large proportion of Australians, I suspect. There are no agnostics, relativists, those who pray half-heartedly but try and get into heaven by their good works and yet do not receive me. There are no people who say, let me in, I came to church in February in 2017 at Trinity Northeast that one time. There are no, let me in because I was brought up Catholic, Anglican, Baptist, whatever. You see, Jesus is saying you cannot negotiate when you arrive. Last night, I was um, driving to pick up dinner and I got a flashback to the 90s and uh, something I can confess with you. Adelaide Oval, what was happening in Adelaide Oval last night? anyone know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That 90s flashback to that time when I had my flannels on and I was, loved that kind of loud rock and roll music. Guns and Roses were playing. Why they're still going now? Seriously, let it go, people. But they played and it just happened to be Triple M was playing the uh, concert and the song that came on was the classic song, which was a better version by Bob Dylan, who wrote the song, Knocking on Heaven's Door. That song has been played and covered so many times. It's one of the classic knocking on heaven's door because the guy is about to face his death. And so he's knocking on the door now because he's going to die. There's nothing left. He's going to face heaven now because he's dying. That's not the time to negotiate when you're at death's door. That doesn't work. At the point of death to not complete, is Jesus saying, but you are supposed to accept me. 
when you heard of me, when I said, I've come for you, I do not know you. You can knock on the door all you like, but you're not going to come in. Verse 27 is one of those moments where if they're said to you from God and it's personal, we should shudder. They're horrible words. I do not know you or where you come from, away from me, all you evildoers. Why? Why would we leave such a seriousness and think, we can sort it out later, it'll be instantaneous at the end. Kind of like money transactions now. You know, you just put your PayPal on and off you go, you're done. Ah, oh, what do I worry about it now? I don't need to worry about my money and I'll just pull out my card and chuck it on. I don't even know how much money's in there, but as long as it says accepted, I'm good. On we go. You know, there's a company that's deciding that we don't even need to do that. They're going to build a factory if they work this out and you pick up your product and you walk out and they'll zap your credit card in your pocket as you walk out. That instantaneous. That's what we want. That's what we'll do. We'll live this life now. We'll enjoy all the pleasures of this world and we'll get to God at the point of our death and instantaneously we'll be okay with him. Jesus says hard words. And that leads us into my third point. Destiny that is eternal in two directions. Despair and great joy. Read with me verses 28 to 29. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Jesus doesn't mince his words. If you take something away from today, if you truly want to engage with Jesus, we see he doesn't hold back from reality. Hell, judgment are real for him. And it's not a fear-mongering, it's his love that drives him to make it plain to us. It's his desperation for us to understand there is a door that he wants us to go through. It's a word of love. Why would I say that? Well, we've uh, moved into a a new house um, in the last six months or so, and there's a pool. Out of fear, we are very, very stern with our son, Ethan, who's six, who likes to climb about the gate. We very sternly tell him the punishment that he will face, the wrath will come down if he tries to open up that gate for himself. We're taking away his Lego. That's, that's big. <laughs> he melts down the moment you take away one piece, like a whole set of Avengers Lego, and it's, it's full-on meltdown city, right? We, we are so strong on that. The punishment will be probably bigger than that. We've seen him hint at trying to go in there by himself. Why? Because our desperate love for him and our desire to protect him. 
Is that not what Jesus is talking about here, but on an eternal scale for all of us here to hear? His love drives him to make it plain to us. There is gnashing or there is feasting. All the greats get in. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom of God. And you're gnashing your teeth that those great men of Israel are in. And then the people of the other nations come. That's what we see. It's not just those from Israel. It's all the nations. And there's a feasting. What do you do when you celebrate? You eat. We felt... we, we we see this image all throughout the Bible, a feast and a wedding, and wedding is always eating. That, that's how you see the picture of the great glory of the kingdom of God. It's a serious message. Why leave it till the end? Why be blasé about eternity and spend days obsessing about the right light fittings in your lounge room? Sorry, that's just a personal question I've had to myself for the last little while. I'll move on from that. But we do that, don't we? We find whatever it is that's going on in your life at the moment that we'll think about over and over and over and over again that this is eternity. See, as we near the end, there are other doors that lead to gnashing of teeth. You see, you know, going back to the Adelaide Oval, the destination is not like the Adelaide Oval. So if you go there, how many doors are there to get into the Adelaide Oval? There's a lot. No matter if you have the cricket, the footy, or you know, old rockers that should never play again. That the reality is, you can go through the south entrance, the east entrance. The if you're you know a snob and you've got your members' tickets, uh, you can go through that. No, if you've got members' tickets, come and talk to me later. I want to be friends with you. Um, <laughs> All that there, you can go through lots of different doors. You can go through lots of different doors to sit and look at the same thing. That is not what Jesus will accept. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Why would his way, the God of all, the one who has come to be with us, to die on a cross for us, why would he then say, you know what? That pain of facing the wrath of all humanity is a good way, but yeah, I'm going to accept the other ways as well. When my death on the cross for you can be for everyone and everyone can accept this way. It's not like the doors of the Adelaide Oval. There's much, much more in this passage that I haven't even got to. There's that Jerusalem falling apart and how bad Jerusalem is that he goes on to say in 31 and following. I skipped over the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed which is just such a glorious picture of where this narrow door takes us to. But where I want us to move today is if you're not a Christian today or you're wrestling with it, can I encourage you to make a decision not to knock on the door as an acquaintance, but as one who receives Jesus and all of his teaching, that he's come for you, he has died for you, he gives you life.
You can trust in him. This striving to walk through the door is not you hearing, I need to be a better person to get through the door. It's not what it's saying. It's saying you strive to get through the door by actually seeing Jesus and accepting his way. As Luke so often says in his gospel and in Acts where he talks about the church, receiving him is to repent, to turn from your ways of having him as an acquaintance, to turn of your ways of rejecting him outrightly and accepting him. And if you do that, the door is yours to walk through. Life with God forever. It's not based on you. It's not based on your earning it. It's on Him who gives us a door. If you need to wrestle with that more, uh, talk to a friend that you're here with. Uh, talk to Craig and come, and come and chat to me. I'd love to do that. And Stephen, when he's back, he'd love to catch up with you this week. But for many of us who live a life, who have walked through the door, who love Jesus, who want to follow him, what do we take away from this? Can I just say one sentence that I want you to consider over and over again this week? If you're young, it's desperately important you remember this now. If you're older, maybe it's important for you too. Don't toy around with other doors. See them for what they are. Maybe attractive, but certainly a road to destruction. I really fear for a friend of mine who's been in church for a lot of their life, been in churches that have got this screwed up, been in churches that understand the gospel clearly and have taught it and are so confused and questioning that not going to church anymore, believing that Jesus is God but not receiving him. Desperately fear for him. I'd hate that to be for you. You see, there's nothing to fear. Jesus wants you to receive him. The nor is narrow Because it's hard. It's hard to get in. But it's not hard because of what we do. It's hard because of what it took of Jesus. The door is built on his blood. What is hard is the making of the door. Jesus heads to the cross so that we can have life with him. Let's have joy in our hearts and know with confidence and with certainty that when Jesus says, walk through the narrow door, receive me and you have it, the brothers and sisters, we have it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for Jesus. Help us to hear the words of verse 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to.
Thank you for Jesus. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.